Welcome to the Production First Mindset, a podcast where we discuss the world of building code from the lab all the way to production. We explore the tactics, methodologies, and metrics used to drive real customer value by the engineering leaders actually doing it. I'm your host, Liran Chemovic, CTO and co-founder of Frugal. Today, we have Hila Fish joining us. Hila is a senior DevOps engineer at Wix and believes that DevOps culture is what drives a company to perform at its best. When not working, Hila is a lead singer of a cover band and gives back to the community by co-organizing DevOps-related events. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So how would you describe yourself? So I usually say that in professional frame, I would say that I'm a senior DevOps engineer for the last 15 years in the high-tech industry. I love tech. You know, when I was a little girl, I carried the floppy disks around and installed the stuff on my friend's computers. So I really love tech. I love computer games. I love everything related to tech. You know, a friend asked me, how can you sit, you know, 10 hours in front of, of a computer? And I said, because I like it. Floppy disks are slow. You have to wait for them to copy stuff. No, then, b- back then, yeah, yeah. Back then, I didn't just sit around and do nothing. I did, you know, other stuff, but... Tech evolved since then. But I do like just, you know, figuring things out. I very enjoy the troubleshooting aspect of my work. So that's why you're a fan of open source. Yeah, actually I do. I think that open source is something that is very crucial for our tech industry because even if, you know, the big companies don't drift in that way, but I think that they usually do because they understand that impacting the open source world means impacting the tech world. So even if they don't embrace it or don't do proactive things to embrace it, I think that doing stuff on your own, if it's contributing to open source or when you have a task at work, don't just go the obvious option and do X, but hey, maybe there's an open source project that you can integrate in your environment and then it could be even better because it suits your use case better. So, but also on that note, I think that it also connects to the production first mindset because I wouldn't select a project to integrate in my environment if it's not really beneficial for my environment. So if, you know, there's a only few comments in the issues and people are not really engaged and the ecosystem is not great, then it means that if the project will stop maintaining itself, then I will have issues on my environment. So it's not something that I would do just because, hey, I want to do cool stuff and play with new shiny things. What more can you share with us about yourself? Basically, I, my lead value that I take with me wherever I go is collaboration. So I really like to collaborate with anyone. Like I remember the other day, a CTO from a company approached me in LinkedIn. She wanted to pitch me with her position at her company, but I said, sorry, I can't, but hey, let's talk anyway. And then we talked and I just gave her my two cents of uh, which DevOps she should hire in the specific point in time that her company is in. So I like to help. I like to give back whatever I can, if it's by consulting someone or giving pep talks or whatever I can do, I like to help. And about the cover band, I have like a gig, you know, next week. If someone wants to come, then uh, just ping me in Facebook or LinkedIn or, or whatever. And that's most it. You came onto the podcast because the term, the production first mindset resonated with you. Why is that? So 
when I think about production first mindset, I think about my way of contributing to a company. So when I come to a company, I say, okay, I have my skill set, but I don't do it for nothing. I do it for the success of the company. So production first mindset means for me, how can I drive the company to successful state in which she could reach more audience and eventually gain more, uh, you know, success, more uh, everything. So when I think of production first mindset, I think of what is the best thing to do in any point in time that will help the company succeed. And if it conflicts with what I want to do, then I need to think what is most crucial for the company. I can give an example. When I just started my career in high tech, I was in 88 and I was in charge of a system that eventually I discovered it only had like a few users, sorry. But then I made a mistake and the system went down and I didn't understand what it means because it was my first gig in the high tech. So after the fact, after we fixed everything, my team leader took me outside, set me you know, on a porch and then he said, okay, I need to explain to you what production is. And I don't recall the specifics of this talk. I just remember that there was a talk and I remember the feeling that I had like, okay, I have like, it's important. I'm not here for, you know, to get money and that's it and then go home. No, stuff matter. And then this point of view made me just realize how important what I do for the company. And then it stick with me for, you know, whatever years to come. So 10 years later, you know, if we go back. So 10 years after that, here at Wix, we had like a monthly uh, strategic planning. And then someone said, hey, we have the Presto, uh, which is an open source for uh, like a data lake to search, uh, you know, for another matter. So we have a Presto and then it runs on servers. And then... They said, hey, we want to maybe uh, deploy it on Kubernetes because... Uh, Kubernetes is cool. Everybody loves Kubernetes. Exactly, right? So they had like, I think, one idea of why to deploy on Kubernetes. And then I stopped and said, okay, what does Hila want? Hila wants to work on Kubernetes because it's cool. It's fun. It's complicated. It's complex. A lot of companies work in Kubernetes. And if I work and gain more uh, confidence and more uh, knowledge in Kubernetes, it will be best for me, for my career, because then I can work whatever I want to, to work. But again, production first mindset. Hila doesn't only think about what Hila wants to do. Sorry for speaking a third, uh, you know, third body or whatever. But I need to think about what is best for the product, for the application. So then I told them, okay, guys, Before, I know Kubernetes is cool and it's a buzzword, but we need to think it through. We need to see if it's the best practice for the application. If Presto themselves say that we are a production-ready declaration for Kubernetes, if it's something that is suggested to do, maybe it's not. Maybe for our scale, it's not good. Maybe for other scales, it is good. So we need to think it uh, through and not just rush things and move, you know, start even doing a POC just because, hey, it's cool and we want to do it and we want to be there. So production uh, first mindset means for me, We need to think what is best for the company, what is best for the application, and therefore it will be best for everyone in the long term. Because kind of production is the real world, and you want to know that whatever you're doing is making the impact you want in the real world rather than just you know, shifting bits around or looking good on your resume. Yeah, because eventually every product that I'm in charge of means real users that have either satisfaction or 
do satisfaction. Yeah, and I am a user as well. You know, on other company, on other products, I am that user. So I want to be able to help other users like me have the best experience possible. So what kind of values do you find most helpful to focus on when we're trying to think production first? Okay, so first of all, I think it's a value not only for production first mindset, but also for a DevOps engineer, and it's collaboration, because if you don't collaborate, then you wouldn't reach the end game. You wouldn't gain the best outcome possible, because you don't know everything. Neither of us know everything. So if you just reach out to someone, consult about something, have more ideas, more point of views about something, about how to do a task, about how to do an architecture for a, or design architecture for an application, then, you know, a lot of uh, great minds uh, have more impact and more options to bring to the table rather than one. So collaboration, I think, is the most important thing. I'm not sure professionalism is a value. Yeah, it's a value. Okay, so yeah, professionalism also matters and most important for that kind of business or because if you're not professional, then you wouldn't do things the best way possible. So like from end to end, if you want to make sure that everything is covered, then you would create a plan. You would do all sorts of things. So there are a lot of things that are considered to be a professional thing to do. And if you wouldn't do it, then you wouldn't gain the best possible outcome. Now, speaking of production first, I know one of the biggest challenges in software engineering in general, and I think one of the biggest challenges we're hearing of today is kind of migrations. Whenever you have one technology in place and then you're trying to move to a different one, for whatever reason, things often get messy, things get complicated. No, it's never easy to migrate between technologies. I agree, because you want to prepare, you want to think everything through, but sometimes you have, you know, unexpected things that you need to deal with. So for any plans that you can do, I think that you should do it. When you think things through, uh, you cover everything that you could cover. And when you have the unexpected, I think that's where your uh, professionalism and your experience come to play. Because the idea of not being putting something on the spot and then don't be nervous about it and don't be and know who you should contact and who you should speak to in order to do this or that. I think that this is something that comes from uh, experience and, you know, dealing with projects along the way. Now, before you joined Wix, you kind of did a pretty big migration project at your last role. Can you share with us a bit about that? Sure. So... There was a, an idea and ultimately implementation of a migration from Bitbucket to GitLab as the source control management tool. And it was a very challenging project, to say the least. I did it on my own. So I was the only one that was basically um, assigned for this. I was able to get some help, but I took a, a decision not to include anyone, not because I didn't want to, but because I had a very tight schedule. And I knew that if I needed to bring someone to speed, it will take more time to do so rather than to just do everything on my own. But even though I just, after I finished the project, I left a whole bunch of documentation that everyone could just read, divided to, you know, sections and all. And whatever I knew about GitLab after I finished the migration was there in the documentation. I didn't left anything behind because I wanted everyone to know what I know. GitLab is a pretty big, you know, project, pretty huge platform. What features did you adopt out of it, at least initially? 
we decided at first to do only as first phase to do the source control management. So only import the repositories from Bitbucket to GitLab and the merge request and permissions and login and everything that's related to the source control management. And only later on, they decided to also adapt the CI. But at first, it was only the source control management. So what are the key phases kind of moving your SCM? I'm wondering where would I begin if I were to do something like that? So I think that the key phases for the Bitbucket and GitLab integration that I did was first to understand the nature of the migration. So you need to understand, if it, is it a full-on migration? Is it just a POC? What are the deadlines? If there aren't any deadlines, let's define ones. Because if you don't know what you should do or what are the timelines to do something, then you can go a bit lost and don't know how to continue from one point to another. So after that, I understood the full extent of the migration. I built a plan for the migration, you know, everything that is related, architecture, networking, monitoring, permissions, access, also cover the training. So everything that was responsible for the full extent of the migration, I covered in the plan with along with deadlines and everything. So I would just, whenever I started the implementation, I just went one by one and had a full vision of what I'm going to do. After that, I had a lot of research, a lot of reading uh, material on GitLab documentation uh, to know what is available for me, to know how do I build the architecture because we chose the self-hosted approach. So we deployed the GitLab on GKE. So I had to check the architecture from their point of view and see, okay, we should do this or that. We should, they had like a limitation on which database to use that I had to put it in the documentation because I need to explain other people why I chose this and not that. So I had a lot of things to consider and a lot of things to document along the way because I wanted people that after I you know, left, and we will get to it, mm-hmm. after I left the company, I wanted people to be able to maintain it. And I didn't want for anyone to feel like they are, oh my God, Hila left, I don't know how to deal with it. No, I wanted to for them to know every decision that I made along the way for the implementation, why I did it, and what they need to check in order to continue from this point on. It's kind of wondering, what were the challenges as you're making this shift, as you're deploying GitLab on a GKE, as you're going through the phases, what was holding you back? I think there were two major challenges in the implementation. One is let's say, other people or other teams that I had to collaborate with, and they have their own agenda and their own schedule to follow and their own priority for the project. Because I had, this was my first uh, priority, but for them, it wasn't. I needed to communicate with them in a way that will allow them to help me in my timeline, Mm -hmm. which is a very challenging thing to do because no one owes you anything and you should, you know, do whatever you want to do from their side, but I had my own schedule and I had the need, you know, to get their help. So this was the first challenge. I had like two or three separate teams to coordinate with along the way. And another challenge was the actual pain points that I ran with during implementation. I think I opened seven or 10 tickets for uh, GitLab support, something like that. So, you know, we didn't buy the support uh, package. Mm-hmm. which means that I had to implement anything on my own and they don't really have to give me any priority for the support tickets that I open. 
And then I'm like, hmm, okay. So there was a lot of project management stuff that I needed to do in order to make sure that I'm progressing, even though I'm waiting for someone else to respond, either the GitLab support or the other teams in my company. So I think that these were the major uh, bottlenecks that I encountered. Now, you mentioned that this was actually the last thing you did at your previous role, and then you left the company just after you know the project was launched and everything was migrated. So kind of, what was it like living the, so shortly after finishing such a big project? So first of all, I gave my early notice on the early stages of the of the project because I wanted them to decide if I was the one to do it or not because I didn't want to decide for them. I wanted to make sure that I'm living on best terms and if they didn't want me to do it, awesome, no problem. But they decided that I should do it because I was a very organized person and they knew that something like that, like source control management should be very organized. So they said, sure, you should do it. But I wanted to do it on the best way possible. So that's why I left really a monstrous documentation divided to sections. And so you don't really have to read everything. You can just dive into, oh, I have certificate issue. Uh, okay, here's a certificate issue. And, you know, so documentation was the main um, key for me. And also I gave trainings to dev QA, my DevOps team members in order to just do the handoff as the best way possible. And I think, yeah, that's mostly it. I just wanted to make sure that no one is dependent on me after I leave and they know everything that I know after doing the migration. Now you're working for Wix and you actually became a DevOps or an SRE for part of the data engineering group. So kind of what does it mean to be To do data engineering so my take on it is that you know I usually throughout my career I was in the production teams so I was responsible for the infrastructure for the main product of the company and now the focus shifted and now the main focus is data and data I think this is what means data engineering it means that the main focus is not the product of the company, it's data, data all over the place, and how you deal with it and how you make the most out of it. And I also had um, a talk with uh, Yossi Goldstein, who's a R&D manager on uh, Wix, and I think you know him. Yeah, friend from the past. So he asked me to say hi. <laughs> so Yossi also um, was able to explain it in a very clear manner, in a way that I also adopt this uh, approach. He said that mostly... The development was divided to three pillars: database administration, system administration, and development. You know, there are more, but let's simplify things. And then there was a need to everything just tried to get shifted together. Everything was just So what you're saying is that data engineering is the full stack engineering of databases. Yeah, something like that, because you need to make sure that the data is flowing as it should flow and that you derive the conclusions from it and you know what to do with it and just it's not just raw data coming in you need to do something with it so this something is the data engineering which means that how do you make the most value from the raw data and what does an SRE do for a data engineering team anything related to infrastructure for data <laughs> so There are still Kubernetes, there are still Terraform, there are still a lot of things that you need to do for the infrastructure, but instead of 
the infrastructure being available or being accessible for the main product, it's available and accessible for the data tools. So Presto and Aerospike and a lot of things that they need to deal with the actual application, the Aerospike, Hadoop, Presto, and the configuration and everything. But I need to deal with the infrastructure and the servers slash Kubernetes side of things in order to make them work without thinking of anything infrastructure related. Now, you're an SRE. You've been one for quite a long while. Now, as you mentioned, quite early in your career, you've got a, you had this production first epiphany. So today, as you're joining a new company, as you're joining a new group or a new role, what do you focus on when you're onboarding? Okay, so I think that the most important thing when you're onboarding, it's being proactive. So if you have a training plan, it's great. But I had a training plan also, and some things weren't updated. So I didn't just say, okay, it's not updated and then left it. No, I talked with whoever I needed to talk to. And then I asked what are the differences. And then I updated the documentation for people after me to come and read it. So being proactive is something that is very crucial in onboarding process because you know what you need in order to succeed. You know which kind of data you need, information you need. You know if you're a people person that you need to get to know everyone or you need information, then you need to read everything. So you know what is best for you in order to thrive in your role. So because of that, because you know yourself best, you should be proactive and navigate yourself in the best way that you know that will help you in your role. Makes sense. Now, there is one question I pretty much ask all of my guests, one of my favorites. And I know we've all been software engineers for a long while and we've all seen our share of bugs. I also find interesting story when I ask people to share about, you know, their most memorable bugs from their history. So I don't know if to portray it as a funny story, but it wasn't funny. There was, I had like a task to do some maintenance on the Jira server. And I thought to myself, okay, yeah, it's Jira, you know, tickets. No one will, uh, you know. No one will care. Yeah, no, tickets. You can update your tickets afterwards, you know, everything is okay. It's not uh, asynchronous. So I did my maintenance and I didn't really, I think I updated only a few people and not everyone that I should have updated. And then eventually I discovered that a lot of DevOps processes dependent on that Jira server. And then it created a bit of a mess. And I was, uh, you know, uh, people said, not good, not good. <laughs> so I think my takeaway points from this is if you're not sure about something, then ask about it and don't just assume that, okay, it's Jira, then it's not really important. Maybe, you know, we are DevOps, SREs, IT, whatever. We do sometimes stuff that are not as straightforward as it should be, like putting a very crucial process on a side server because, hey, nobody touches this server, so the utilization of that server is not high, so I can use it for other stuff. No, no, don't do it. So don't just assume things, check update everyone because it's better to update a lot than nothing and be careful I think be careful yeah so Ilatan thank you very much for being here thanks for having me so that's a wrap on another episode of the production first mindset please remember to like subscribe and share this podcast let us know what you think of the show and reach out to me 
on LinkedIn or Twitter at Production First. Thanks again for joining us.